Welcome to another edition of Politics and Huevos with Greg and Lori. Lori is here. I am. We just got back from eating breakfast at a place called the Peabody Diner, which barely in Peabody. Is it actually in Peabody? It's got to be on the line, but well, yeah, it's in Peabody, but it's got to be close to the line. The Salem uh, Peabody line in Massachusetts. They had, uh, I think we had a pretty good breakfast day where we had some of the best Southern gravy of any uh, local diner that I've had. Yeah, they one up to our normal go-to for gravy. Unfortunately, they don't have biscuits on the menu because some biscuits and gravy is more my alley for gravy. Maybe we'll leave a recommendation in the Yelp review that we post that they should... Make some biscuits. Add biscuits to their repertoire. Yeah. It's a French word, by the way. I'm not sure if you're familiar. Well, it's good because we're of French heritage. Allegedly. Um, allegedly. I mean, we've never done one of those spit tests. Not to get so, off track, but the spit tests kind of freak me out. Well, because like that. I want yeah. to put my DNA online. Uh, Dad already did, so half of our That's DNA. Not my, well, half of our DNA is allegedly. Uh, I, I guess. Um, according to according to mom, half of our DNA is now online. Um, but no, I agree. I'm not um, saying we should do that. Given not that I have any crimes that I've committed that I'm worried about being exposed, but nonetheless. So the Peabody Diner. It's a place we've driven by a lot. Neither of us had ever been to before. Seems that they're under different management because for a long time their the reputation of the place wasn't No. And good. yeah, Yelp reviews and stuff were not. So it's a place that I've driven by, but I can't say it's a place that I was like, I gotta go there because it wasn't a lot of cars. But recently, it almost seems like it was empty even maybe for a while, if, if, even if, if it was even open at all. It's definitely a new remodel. I haven't gone in there. So the wait staff is very friendly and attentive. Yes. And uh, I had their quiche, which was their special of the day. It was with spinach, tomatoes, and onions. And I would say it's actually probably some of the best quiche I've ever had. Just full of French words today. I know. Repertoire, quiche. So that was really good. Like, great flavor. It wasn't... Sometimes it seems like... I don't know if they overbeat the eggs, overcook the eggs. But you end up with really kind of chewy quiche. This was really good. The crust was flaky. Flavor was on par. Um, breakfast potatoes is what I had with it. Their their cooking and of their breakfast potatoes was really good. You had crunchy bits. They were well cooked. They were just the right consistency. Not as much flavor as I prefer on my potatoes as far as seasonings. But, but they were also be plain. But the was it like you said the level of cooking was was really good. Yeah, you got some good crunchy bits, and so that part of it I really like. Soft and crunchy. Soft and crunchy. The mix that is uh, what makes breakfast potatoes. So there, that was the, that was my breakfast. And I had a southern omelet, um, which was an omelet with southern gravy on top and sausage inside. Um, it didn't appear that the sausage was, was homemade, but I'm not sure where they get it. I got to find out because the sausage was fantastic, which I think was the key to their southern gravy being so tasty. Yeah, because I tried some of the, the gravy and some of the sausage that you had and... It had a lot of good spices in it, which I think made the gravy all the all the better. So yeah, that was definitely something that both of us really enjoyed was the uh, gravy. And like I said, we just I wish they had biscuits because I like my gravy with biscuits. Or they could do you know some fried potatoes and throw it on that. I'd be good at that. And then of course I had corned beef hash on the side when it had very yep. much a traditional corned beef hash what people are are used to, which is never. Um, you know, it's never something that you're going to uh, turn your face away from because it's still delicious, but clearly just kind of your regular traditional corned beef hash, not homemade, nothing particularly uh, special about it, but very well done nonetheless. 
Yeah, I think it's a good, the, like, their gravy was good. The quiche was amazing. Pretty traditional place. Nothing that was, like, they don't advertise as anything in particular, which I thought was an interesting thing. Like, they don't say, like, this is our thing. Well, it seemed to be a very traditional Greek diner. They did have yep. some, a couple different kinds uh, for sides of, of Greek sausage. Yep. And I, I can't pronounce any of them. I'll do a slot of them if I attempt to, but they had... At least two or three of the most kind of um, traditional Greek sausage types on the on the side dishes. So I mean, in general, their entire menu would be very traditional Greek, Greek. diner yep. type food. I agree. So, which is the way diners should be. I mean, no. So I, I diners really... should be should be uh, should be Greek and and deli should be Jewish. There you go. So I think yeah, it's a place I definitely return to, and I think it was good we went because neither of us have gone before, and if they get biscuits on the the menu, it may become a go-to because that we'll, gravy was really good. And we'll be posting our, uh, our Yelp review shortly. Yes. So on to politics part of uh, Politic and the Papos. I will let you go first because I went first last week. First of all, I did I thought pay we were gonna have. Uh, I thought you were going to go first every week. Oh, okay. Well, I can. So, and you won the bet, so I did pay for breakfast. This was week. there no further arrests? There were no further arrests this week. I'm like, come on. Muller, can you uh, speed it up? Because I'm pretty convinced. I got at least a couple people in mind that I think are in some pretty significant jeopardy, but we'll see. Just another victory in the long stream of uh, prior victories that I'm yeah. sure will just continue. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. So I will go first. My first topic of the day is an article that came out this week around a loss for the Pentagon around their ability to continuously monitor the naturalized citizens that had came through the military sessions vital to national interest program, also known as MAVN, which is a program that was started in 2009, and it was specific to getting people with special tech, medical, or language skills that were immigrants. Essentially, if they serve eight years honorably, they would get citizenship. So what the program, um, initially in 2018, they started to try to discharge all the people that were in that program. Um, I'm not... They tried to discharge them from the military? Yes. Doesn't... So, but they have not... They started that and then it was put on hold as part of this ongoing court case. Did some of them actually get discharged? Yes. What was the nature of the discharge? For anyone who had not gone through basic, they just said they flunked their, even if they had been waiting, they just, they, not flunked, but they didn't pass their, they said they did not pass their background check. Okay. But it was like everyone who had not yet gone through basic, even if they had served in the reserves for years. And then there was a push to kind of move everyone else out. They are not bringing anyone else in, but those people who were in at the time were under what they were calling like this continuous observation, which meant that even if they, even after they kind of finished their eight years and became citizen, if they stayed in the military and or if they worked for the government, they were had additional security measures put in place for them, including they were like this continuous monitoring, as well as they had additional security reviews that no one else had. And this could be after they've kind of served out their contract and become a nat uh, naturalized citizen. Why was a special category developed in the first place? Because we needed the skills they could bring into the military. 
Yeah, but the, why why are they a special category though? After their after their citizens? Well, just in general. Well, it's a special. I mean, the military category. hire you know brings out people from all of them that are not citizens all the time. Um, they do, but this was a specific one that it was like a contract that if you serve for eight years honorably, we give you citizenship, which is different than an actual like going into the military in general. If you're you can be in the military and an immigrant, but it doesn't actually give you a path to citizenship. Sure, but I guess what I'm saying is so this was since they bring in non citizens to the military all the time, why would these people be subject to additional concerns that the other people that joined as non-citizens. Well, I I think it's not that they were because I don't know what the non-citizens that are in the immigrant that are like immigrants that are in the that are non-citizens that are in the military may be subject to this too. The key to this is this continues after they've become nationalized citizens. So that's actually what the Pentagon lost this week was it was brought by these 17 people who have served out their their eight years, become naturalized citizens, and now because either they're continuing in the military and or they are they've discharged from the military and are continuing in government work are subject to these additional checks as citizens of the United States. So that seems like a clear constitutional problem. That is what they brought it as, and um, I'm sure it will be appealed. But a judge in Seattle this week sided with them and did say that essentially creating a second-class citizenship. There also has been no one that coming out that has been in this program. There's been no kind of terrorist, treasonous, et cetera, coming out of this program. There also, in two of the articles I read on this, there's actually not been anyone in this program that has committed a felony, which I thought that was actually, I mean, it's not a huge group of people, but at the same time, yeah, I mean, given the felonies that you commit on such a regular basis, no. but I mean, can't imagine how anybody could have. Uh, if you look at if got you, to their point in life without committing felonies, no. But if you look at a subset of people to say that, like, since two thousand and nine, when this started, none of the people in this program have committed a felony. I thought was um, probably statistically a standout. I mean, they are educated. You know, they're they're hired specifically because. They're brought into this program specifically because of their education and their. I don't. But they're not. They're not from any particular location, right? That they they could be. They could be from Indians, Indonesians, Chinese, they, Japanese. Yeah, one of the people that led the one of the people that talked a lot about this when like he was actually discharged was uh, a Chinese guy. You were avoiding saying the word ringleader. No, the he ring wasn't part of the of, lawsuit. He wasn't part of this lawsuit. He was actually one of the ones that was discharged. Okay. He had been in the reserve for two years, so he was one of the ones that I guess waved, waved the initial flag to say, like, essentially they're tell, telling everyone that they flunked their background or whatever you want to say. They didn't pass their background check back in 2018 when they started doing that. So I don't know anything about the backgrounds, given the you know. So I'm sure there's certain there probably, especially when you're talking about language being one of the potential reasons. They're they're probably certain they're probably looking for certain languages. I haven't heard anything that it's like a specific to a certain group of people. I just found it quite interesting that in any respect, there would be this sense that you could extra monitor these people after they become U.S. citizens that you're not doing to anyone else in their position. Because constitutionally, and if you're a citizen, you're a citizen. I mean, the only thing you can't do if you're naturalized, right, is become president. You can essentially do everything else. I thought that was interesting. Um, one that I saw, I think it speaks to a, a sense of 
I think it speaks to a sense of what is American. Like when you become a when you become a citizen, you are American, and yet our so, government doesn't necessarily. So, what was the remedy though that they won as part of their court case? Like, what are they getting? This, not just not to be subject to the additional review. Yeah, not to be subject to the additional monitoring. Was there any damages related to the nothing, court finding the no, Pentagon nothing, to be nothing I, unconstitutional? I saw, no. And like I said, the Pentagon is expected to appeal this. So there is some feeling that this is going to continue to go through the courts. I would be surprised if you could validate that at any level. I mean, I would be like, I don't know how you think you can win that argument. Yeah, even even in a Supreme Court that's so heavily conservative. tilted to yep. conservative, that I think this is an instant loss. Yeah, because I get that if you want to say that you're subject because you're in this program or because you're kind of an immigrant or a non-citizen in our armed forces, you're going to have additional scrutiny. I think that you can back up that there would be additional scrutiny on that. Do I think that logistically does it play out that that, that those people are in some way more dangerous than others? Probably not, if you look at the people that actually enter through that. But if you want to make that argument, I think... Yeah, you can you make a class of people however you want. Yeah, based because... Based on whatever criteria you want. Yes. But at the point where they become citizens, they're, they are citizens, and they become part of the U.S. citizenship, and therefore they're no longer a class... They're no longer a... They're fully protected by the Constitution. Class, class of people that you can treat differently. It's It's interesting. I think that it also plays into when you look at some recent articles that I've been reading about like veterans who are now getting deported because to Mexico and other particular, it seems like that's where they're getting deported to because that seems to be the people that our administration is deporting who served and then, you know, due to PTSD and other things have now gotten trouble for drugs or something else after kind of having served even overseas, they're being deported. And so I think there's which has always bothered bothered me. People who are were willing to lay down our life, their life for our country, and then I was reading about this, and I and so I think it speaks to a variety of things. One being that they were willing to make a a way to citizenship for a certain group of people, but what about the rest of those kind of immigrant communities that do serve our country? And what do we what do, what do we do in return? You know, because I, I would argue, I don't know if you'd agree or not, but I would argue that if someone has served our country and served it honorably. If we're willing to let them lay down our life for us, why are we not willing to give them um, some sort of path to citizenship? Sure. Even though I think, uh, I, I agree with that, even though I think putting that incentive in place is kind of gross. Yeah, because we're going to kill you off on like the chance that if you live, this, this you can be a citizen. very coercive to me for a group of people that are obviously uh, vulnerable. I agree. But I think that you if ever, we're did willing... Did you ever watch uh, Starship Troopers? Don't movie? think so. Anyway, it's... I'm sure everybody that's listening to the podcast is going to be familiar with it. It's a classic. Mm-hmm. It's basically a satire of basically this future fascist society, for mm-hmm. lack of a better term. I think it's probably accurate. That requires you to basically join the military to fight the bugs in order to gain, to become a citizen, in quotation marks. Yeah, and I think you can argue ethically, like, should people have to go through that to be able to become a citizen? No, but I think that the idea that we're allowing people to fight our battles for us and under our flag, you know, they're wearing our flag on their shoulder, they're dying for our flag, they're dying for our country, and then when they come back and they have some issues, we're deporting them back to a country that, in case of the one guy that kind of there's been some ongoing stories, don't remember his name off the top of my head, but, um, you know, he 
didn't know anything else other than the U.S., um, ended up with a drug conviction and has been deported to Mexico after, I believe he served five or six years in the military and three tours, two to three tours in Iraq and Afghanistan. So that's my first one. What do you got going? What do you have on your mind for political topics? I have many things on my mind. I thought for my first uh, topic, the second one's going to be especially exciting. But for the first one, oh, we've got to make sure we get to my second to my second topic. Okay. My, my, yeah. <laughs> Go. So I thought um, we've talked about it a little bit before, but I thought we'd talk about our friend uh, Ralph Northman from uh, Virginia. Yeah, I was going to say that should be our bet because right now, because I don't know when this is going to be released, but as of right now, he is refusing to... To resign. To resign. Uh, he has a press conference going for 2.30 this afternoon. And he's... But he's still saying before that he's, he's not going to resign at the press you, conference. So let's... You, you want this to be the bet? I, I think that's... Uh, if he will or won't. Yeah. Um, what, what side of it are you taking? He'll be done by, before the end of the week. You think he's going to resign before the end of the week? I think I would take that. That seems like a, a fair bet to me because you've won the last two. I gave you the... No, I didn't give you the... Yes, last week's I did. Two people arrested in a week would have been hard. But if you want to find a different bet, because that one's too... Uh... I'm not, I don't think... Yeah, I think I would agree that he's not going to survive the week. But I think... If, I wonder if we could make it more focused. Okay. So do you think he's going to be gone by tomorrow? What time tomorrow? Is he going to be gone before or after the Super Before Bowl? midnight tomorrow. Tomorrow's Sunday. I would be willing to counteroffer you for Monday. You, t- you think he's going to be gone by Monday? I think Monday? he will be gone by, the end of, by midnight Monday. The reason I'm not wanting to say Sunday is tomorrow's the Super Bowl and people are finicky. So how much pressure is he going to get on Super Bowl Sunday? Um, Monday's the first kind of work week after this really came out, work day after this came out. I mean, if, if you're really stuck on tomorrow, I can potentially. Well, I, so here, I think it could be gone by tomorrow night. Oh, Oof. that's a rough one that you were taking the other side. Yeah. Yeah. I'm willing to push it up. Earlier than it seems like he were. That's I don't think he survives. There's a part of me that thirty six hours he survives this week. I mean today. It was not much time to resign after his two thirty press conference today. I mean he could, I guess. Yeah. But if he's already taken a position that he's not going to. And but then he's then he scheduled. We we're talking so much about this story. We're not explaining what it actually is. Okay, so explain know. the story, and then I'll consider whether I'm going with you. The story is that the esteemed Democratic. No oh, good. Governor of the great Commonwealth state of Virginia um, was found this week to have in his medical school yearbook from 1985 a picture that ostensibly is him either in clearly racist blackface and or a Ku Klux Klan outfit. Yes. Now his initial statement didn't clarify which individual in the picture. Yeah, yesterday he, he essentially was. said, "I'm sorry, it was me, and I, this isn't." It was who me in the I picture, am. even though he did not clarify which. Reportedly, in the he was could his. not remember which one was him as of yesterday. Today. Today he has said that he's not in the picture at all, and there was some kind of a mix-up in the yearbook, and, and he's not actually depicted in the picture. Yes. Whatsoever. And he's not going to resign. And then he won't resign. Um, as we mentioned before, he's got a 2.30 press conference this afternoon to tell us why he's not going to resign or ostensibly to give us more Why of don't you story. take today? If, no, if, I think he might be done today. I think 2.30 he may resign. You know, he said 2.30 is only an hour and a half away. I know. I think he's done. Well, I, I, I'd hope he would be. 
But I will give you, how about if we uh, split the difference? If you're saying by end of day tomorrow, yep. okay, you don't think he's done today. I don't think so. Would you give me until noon tomorrow? And you take between noon and midnight. Tomorrow? Yeah. Sure. Okay. All right. So the deal is if he resigns between now and tomorrow at noon. You win. I win. If he resigns between noon and midnight, you win. Well, if he, no, if he resigns after noon tomorrow, anytime I win. Well, that's not fair. Because <laughs> then you end up with a whole lot more time. So here, so I guess here we say so. Yeah. But if he's still governor by the time we have this podcast next week, next week it's a push. But we may have actually something to talk about if he yeah if is he, still in office by next Saturday. They're gonna have to launch something major because everyone's come out against him. Okay. He's so, got no backers whatsoever. So we say that I have until noon tomorrow. Yep. You have between noon and the next podcast. Yep. Okay. I'll give you that. And if he's still there, I still think you have nobody a wins. But okay. I'll give you that. So yeah, I mean, I think, and going back to what this really is about, I mean, the idea that, I mean, I think so far, at least I have not heard anyone in the Democratic Party come out for him. So I think at least they seem to be speaking together to say like, nope, this is, this is a line and you've crossed it. You're done. Um, it'll be interesting to see now that he's pushing back what happens, but I, I really hope that they stick to that. I in no way um, can see that the ability of someone to survive this. I mean, this is not something that happened in the 60s. This is not something that happened, you know, in the 50s. This is not something that happened. This is something that happened when he was 25 years old as a med student and... In 1985. 1985. So modern era, as it were. And this, the other... And the other we've, I think we talked about this a little before, too. Like, the other part of it is this kind of his evolution as a person hasn't been part of his political narrative up to this point. No, I think... To my understanding, he's never given a speech saying, you know, I used to aspire to some some disgusting beliefs or or I used acted to, in a yeah. certain way that people clearly find very offensive. To my understanding, that's never been part of who he's been. Yep. So, you know, as we said before, the... You know, the, the, the problem with society in general going forward is if we're too hard on allies and expect them to be perfect and lily white and never have any 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 black marks on their on their record, we're never gonna have any allies. On the other hand, if you're gonna be an ally, you have to admit your prior mistakes, basically prior to them coming out coming out after you've put yourself forward as being some kind of um pillar of, of you know, democratic ideals or whatever, whatever and, you want to say. And I would... So, if he, like, like, yeah. like we had mentioned, if he would have been talking about this or, again, similar things that may have gone on in his past and had talked about how he has grown and evolved as a person, this wouldn't be an issue because, for the most part, everybody would already know about it. And if they didn't know about the exact picture, they'd know that he'd already copped to being a dirtbag in the past, right? Yeah, and I think the other thing that is strange about this is there's a part of me that's like, does he even have anyone at this point kind of like trying to help him through this? Because first of all, just horrid. And then secondly, like, I don't know that he could have messed this up any worse than he has at this point. Because now he's like, the picture's not mine. People are saying that these pictures got mixed up in the yearbook. Like, this is your yearbook that you had since 85 and all your other people had. So first of all, like someone, you know, Seems like the vetting wasn't good. But the other idea to this is that how is it that your first response is it was me, it was wrong, 
Do I think he could have survived if that was his? No, because he didn't come out in front of it. But he had a better chance. But he chance. had a better chance. Yeah, he, he actually would have had an argument. Especially if he would have kept building on mm-hmm. that. If it would have been an ongoing conversation where he would have come out with an initial statement saying, you know, it was me, I'm sorry. And then if it would have been an ongoing yeah. conversation about saying how, again, the story we said before. It's at least an argument. How much I've evolved and I did some yep. really horrible, horrendous, stupid things. Yeah, it's still, past. you know, I still think it's lopsided whether he could have survived or not, but he actually had a chance. But now coming out like this and saying, it's not me, I think creates another problem. And I think that when you look at for the Democratic Party, they've been trying really hard to say, like, who who they are as a people and not being, you know, we don't support these kinds of things. And there's there's been a push for that because they've been so blatantly coming out against people they perceive as racist in Florida just a few weeks ago, right? The Secretary of State resigned. Like, a picture came out of him in blackface with the quote-unquote being a Katrina victim. And And he he literally said, I messed up, should have never done that, and immediately resigned. That's what should happen when you... But on the other hand, you know, I don't know if it probably won't happen in this case because he's not a particularly sympathetic figure. But to contrast what's happening with Northman with what happened with... Al Franken and still all of the really hurt feelings that there are in the Democratic Party led to Al Franken. There are still people that have come out on the record and say they absolutely hate Gillibrand. Kirsten Gillibrand because of, of, in quotation marks, what she did to him, right? Yep. Even though based on, if they're, which would, you know, again, calls into question their treatment of, of Brett Kavanaugh. I mean, Al Franken had, it wasn't just one anecdotal story of, having problems he had the picture right yep of the inappropriate um conduct and then a dozen people came out of about having some kind of inappropriate, inappropriate interaction with them over the last you know, whatever 30 years or whatever right yeah and i think that that's one thing that and, and i and, and put this on the record before i get death threats about that i you know i'm a an l franken fan to whatever degree even now but he can't be a senator anymore like, no. he still he, he still has he still is an important voice. He still has legitimate, you know, ideas. But given his conduct, he he, he can't gave up his his right of being the, the U.S. senator. Yeah, I'm not sure he deserves. He, you know, I'm not sure that necessarily deserves to be criminally uh, charged or anything else for 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 what took place. At least as far as what I'm currently aware of. But he lost his his yep. ability to be, be a U.S. senator. Yeah, no, and I, I agree with that, and I think that it's interesting that it kind of is coming up with her, uh, Joe Brands running for running for president, like this is something that comes up when what she did was right. And I think that's an important part that I feel on all sides. It doesn't matter if someone is a Republican, a, a Democrat, an Independent, or any other number of whatever they want to define themselves. Yeah, the jersey doesn't matter. You're gonna, if, if, Your behavior, the rules are the same, no matter what jersey you wear. And so I think that, and that was something that I actually was was proud of Gillibrand for because she took a lot of heat from it. She still takes a lot of heat from it, but she still stands by she made the right decision. Yeah, and, and, and you know, the cynical part of people may, you know, think that she did that to, to further her career, which I think there's an argument made that she, that, that may have played some role into it. I'm pretty cynical, so, uh, you know, it's, I'm not saying that her... Even even if her motives for the entire thing weren't completely pure, it doesn't really matter. It was the right decision. Yeah. Yep. I agree. Um, but in in Northman, Northam, Northam, he doesn't have. It doesn't appear to have any friends. 
No, everyone's kind of come out against him at this point. I believe, just one interesting point, I do believe that, well, if he steps down, it will be the lieutenant governor, which I believe would actually then, and, you know, send death threats and or if I'm wrong, but I believe I read somewhere that if he steps down and the lieutenant governor, who I don't know his name off the top of my head, becomes governor, he would be the first African-American governor of the Commonwealth of Virginia. All right. All right. So just to put a, a bow in our, our Northam uh, conversation, yes. I think um, the bottom line and my big takeaway from it would be that in order to... In order to maintain credibility as uh, really a person, a politician, or even a country, you have to be able to admit mistakes that you've made in a way that is sincere and uh, demonstrate that that you've uh, you've changed and, and aspire to do better in the future. Right? You have to come out before the before your closet is exposed. You kind of have to uh, expose it yourself. Well, that would be the best thing. But again, even if something crops up that you hadn't previously disclosed, you have to just cop to it and say, yes, I I, uh, I did it. And here's kind of the story about why and, and what happened and et cetera, right? Instead yeah. of trying to say, trying to weasel, weasel and wiggle out of things. Um, so I think we're on to your second My topic. second one. All right. So I actually was going to talk about kind of another side. I was going to talk about the Martha Healy um lawsuit against uh, Purdue Pharma um, with the OxyContin and the family and all that that's made a whole lot of money off of it. And in actually looking into that, I... Was that the um, the drug rep that was the stripper and gave the executive a lap dance or whatever? The no. doctor a lap dance? Was that a different this pharma is, story? This is... You didn't hear... So that uh, Massachusetts is suing Purdue Pharm, Pharma who... I know who Martha Healy is. Of Purdue We're Pharma been close friends for a long time. Purdue Pharma is the um, maker of OxyContin. Yep. And like generic OxyContin or the the real stuff. Okay. The good stuff. Well, and the uh, so sh- and the family who owns that. So she brought a lawsuit because they've made a whole lot of money, and there's their practices according to the Commonwealth of Massachusetts is that what they did in a variety of ways was to essentially really downplayed the opioid issue as well as pushing um, prescribers to prescribe work. This goes back quite a ways, correct? Isn't this it does, a, but there a story was a, for quite a while? Um, there was a, there was a, the lawsuit came out a while ago, but there was a, a non-redacted document dump that Purdue Pharma this week did not want that came out that, from my reading of it, didn't look good for them. Okay. However, so I was gonna say, I, that I was think... the initial, that was initially what I was going to go into. This isn't necessarily, I'm actually looking at the other side of it, because in we all know the, the opioid crisis, right? But this was something that I found this week um, that was an article, it was an NPR article. Um, National Public Radio? Yes. Tax subsidized radio station? Uh, don't mess with my NPR. I was thinking to take it away. I was just disclosing so that the listeners would know. More than willing to how pay my operate. taxes to NPR. Much better than some of the other places we've been. All right. So what this is is there's a kind of a new model to almost not oppose, but it, there's a group, um, Alasa, A L O S A. I assume it's Alasa. They don't pronounce it in the written article I read. Health that is actually using something that Kaiser Permanente and the VA has also recently started. So the model is actually for these, their pharmacists and doctors, they call themselves academic 
detailers. But what they are is they're essentially the non-drug reps, drug reps. Okay. So they go in to teach doctors about pain treatment, evidence-based, things like that. Sure. But they are not backed by a drug company. They also are teaching them about the risks of pain, you know, prescribing painkillers and addictions and all of this. Sure. And initially, initial through all three of these, the VA, Kaiser Permanente, and Loss of Hope, it seems like it's actually really effective. They're using the same strategies as drug reps. Sexual favors. Drop in. (laughs) Drop-ins. Right? Isn't that what the drug reps are generally doing to give them the fruit to I, give them more oxycontin? I don't know. I don't. That was the that so. was the story this last week. I didn't see that story, so I don't know about the that part of it. But providing free samples to the doctors. Well, this is really they you know drop in, do cold calls, bring donuts and coffee. The three martini lunches and whatever. Why well, those aren't 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 legal anywhere anymore? I know, but they still do. Um, I I do not believe that happened. Most places have very specific rules around like you can't even take coffee from a drug rep. Yeah, but they bring them out to like strip clubs and you can't, all kinds of stuff. I mean like... That was in the, the article I read this I, week. You may have read that this week. I'm just saying that anyone who like any doctor or prescriber that's involved in that is probably um, losing their ability to practice for any actual like... Unless you have your own, I guess if you have your own, you don't have a policy if you have your own clinic or whatever. But anyways... The point of this is that it's it's just an interesting way to kind of combat the particularly this is specific to the to opioids, but to really combat the you know the push that has happened. So it's interesting because when I was reading the articles on you know kind of the lawsuit and the document dump that happened this week, it's a huge part of it. The documents show the push from big pharma to get people to prescribe these more and more, and so this is. And and a big part of that, you know, they provide their research that shows their drugs are X, Y, and Z, right? But this is interesting because it's using that same philosophy of how they're acting, but it's bringing in, like, you know, like they call themselves the academic detailers. They have these brochures that talk about non-opioid-based pain treatment. They have papers on how to, you know, tell if someone is abusing the, you know, the meds you're prescribing. But it's so, just educational, though? Like, how are they actually incentivizing the... They're not the incentivizing. Okay. They don't... I mean, they don't really have any way. But what's interesting about it, um, and it kind of makes sense, is Aetna is actually... Um, has now paid paid them $7 million, which for, you know, Aetna, it's not a huge amount, to actually do this in Pennsylvania, Maine, Ohio, and West Virginia, which are some of the big biggest states with opioid problems, Yeah. Um, to specifically target it. And in a lot of ways, it actually kind of makes sense... Aetna is doing this because they're health insurance, and so paying for the other side of it, which is the treatment for people hooked on who are hooked on those, is significant, along with you know all the other problems with bed shortages and stuff. But I did find it to be an interesting kind of philosophy to try to combat because... But it doesn't seem like it's enough. Oh, $7 million for it? No, I mean, what the they're, they're just fighting a losing battle, so the... The pharmaceutical companies are spending literally billions of dollars on marketing and campaigns to both get individuals like me and you. We see how many drug commercials do we see on a on a daily basis well, I'm not, to get us to be aware of some random bullshit, right? No, but I'm not and saying that this is. I'm not saying that this is the the answer, but no. it's an interesting new way to fight the battle because there's the only way this is going to change is through a variety of avenues. 
Yes. Yeah, because every time the problem is, you know, that these big pharmaceuticals, when the laws change, they just figure other ways to kind of get what they want around that. So there needs to be it's it's going to take a lot to kind of change the mindset or change the to really change overall people's mindset. But I think it is interesting because they're really the people that are showing up in doctors' offices around this, up until these kinds of things, have always been drug drug reps. So to have someone who's a pharmacist, a prescriber, uh, show up in your office and talk about other ways to pain management—that's a new way of trying to get some different influence. When do you know when the um, when the when the rule the regulations are actually changed to allow pharmaceuticals to do public facing advertising? TV commercials? Well, they weren't even allowed to do print before, my understanding. They couldn't do print or TV advertising up until sometime in like maybe the 80s. Um, I believe it's later than that, but I could be wrong. They weren't allowed to do, I, I don't know off the top of my head when that, when that was. I believe the reason it changed is consumers should have a better understanding. And it was kind of another way that they took it one step over, you know. Well, I don't even hear anybody talking about the reversing that. I haven't heard anybody talking about it for 20 years. Well, and I don't know that reversing that is the answer because I don't know that... It's definitely part of the answer because you're taking the, the doctor out between the, the, the patient and the, and the drug companies and, you're, and, and the patient's coming to the doctor I think you could argue, saying... I could think you could argue, though, either side on that. I, I, would, I would be able to argue either side. I can see that, but I could also argue that the doctor is getting a lot of times incentivized in a variety of ways to prescribe a certain medication... Why should I not know that there's more than one medication that can do that? Do I think that the, the Abilify, I'm just going to call them out, the Abilify, like, Happy Little Cloud commercials? I thought it was a jumping bean. Um, the Happy Little Cloud? What's the jumping bean one? I don't know. But the Happy Little Cloud one that's like, are you depressed? Take Abilify, yes. I that was if you're the, depressed, the egg thing take that bounces it. around. They may have changed it to an egg thing. I don't know. But it was a Happy Cloud for a while, and it's like, do you, are you depressed? Is your SSRI not working well enough? Try Abilify. And I found it very interesting that they never said it was just like an antipsychotic in the commercial. You think it's PC to be antipsychotic in this day and age? Isn't that a class of people that needs to be protected? You know, serious <laughs> issues. So, anyways. I would say I was antipsychotic. That seems discriminatory. Goodness. So, I think that um, just in saying that, it was, I guess, the reason I wanted to bring this up is I thought it was an interesting new avenue to try to challenge some of the, some of, some of the opioid crisis. So, for those of you that are pro-psychotic, you can send your, your uh, comments to the email address of Logics and Havos at uh, gmail.com. Huevos. Huevos. I'm work on my Spanish pronunciation. Please, like, pronounce it right. We're going to get death threats from everyone saying, why did you choose a name that you can't even pronounce? That was kind of the whole reason. Yeah. We could pronounce it uh, 15 different ways an episode. Yeah. All right. What's your second one? Uh, my, second, my second topic? Yeah. Of conversation related to politics? I'm assuming that's what it is. I mean, you could have chosen, I guess, anything. It's true. I could have chosen anything. It's actually something that I've been thinking about for quite a while, but I thought, uh, given that it is indeed... Super Bowl week, oh. we could talk about pro sports. Okay. You know, I think we could probably have a whole other conversation about college sports. But for the purpose of, of this, given that it's Super Bowl week, we talk about professional sports. As I wear my Block M shirt. Exactly. Okay. Thank goodness we're not talking about uh, college sports. So I thought we'd maybe talk about the, both the kind of the political leverage that pro sports, I think, wields pretty unresponsibly as well as the hold that they have over 
voters and actually incentivizing voters to vote against their own interests in their local jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously the examples that have have you have for that is pro teams basically holding cities, blackmailing them to give them, you know, these millions and millions and millions of dollars in tax incentives and and um, business uh, grants and subsidies, or they'll move their team away. Yep. No city councilor wants to get a thousands and thousands of angry phone calls and emails from fans saying the owner of whatever local sports team says that you're not a fan. You know, give them whatever they want so that they stay. Yep. So we're going to talk about that aspect. The other aspect uh, that I wanted to talk about, and as you know, as you know, to a l- large degree, I've um, transitioned away from caring about professional sports over the last few years. But also, you know, I, like I said, I, I've. I wouldn't say I've given it up, but I definitely spend very little time keeping track of professional sports anymore, watching games. Yeah. Not because I don't really enjoy professional sports. I think I do probably too much. And, and, you know, I just got to a place where it became clear to me that it's not particularly constructive or productive use of my time and energy to care very much about it. But I wanted to know what uh, your thoughts on the uh, potentially kind of corrosive effect that professional sports has on, on society, particularly in the United States. More examples of things that I think are kind of disgusting, you know, their kind of close relationship with the, mil- the branches of the military, the kind of strange nationalistic spectacles that happen before games that have just gotten more and more elaborate over time, which seem kind of strangely out of context for what, you know, going like to a game actually means. Flyovers and the giant flags and the huge military presence on the field uh, just as a i don't so, know so there's a, I, I, there's yeah. ton, I, I i laid out a ton of uh, different uh, topics there you can pick and choose one so i mean more I, to you. I like the flyovers the you know bringing bringing, bringing military people on the field to like uh thank them and things like that i'm i'm a huge fan of i like that um but i i mean i agree i watch very oh. little sports I think for me, some of it has been not only the financial side, but that that's happening um, to the detriment of the people. I also think that the coming up through their, you know, through college, through there's a lot of kind of abuse that goes on within that. We have you know the head injury thing for the NFL that they just were able to keep it under wraps for so long that you know they still, in essence, deny that. It's a huge, I guess, multiple corporations that make significant amount of money, um, but really don't put a lot of a lot of it back into people. I also don't understand why they become politicized. Like, I don't understand why, you know, we live in New England and I don't understand why people are like, oh, Tom Brady wore a Make American Great Again hat and it was this big thing. And I'm like, okay, he throws a football. That has, what does that have anything to do with whether he should tell me about politics? But I think that speaks to kind of an overall ignorance that people have. And that's something that bugs me because I'm not, the person who throws the ball the farthest isn't going to be the person that tells me how I should vote. But unfortunately, because of their status currently in our society, that does speak to people in a way it shouldn't. Like the idea that someone throws a ball far 
should not be the reason we choose to vote a certain way or eat a certain snack. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know if I... I think maybe we have two things you just talked about that I, we may just disagree on. I think, you know, it's fine for anybody to use whatever position they have in society to, to further their political beliefs. I think that's pretty I'm not foundational they, to... No, I'm not saying they can't do it. What I don't understand is why it makes a difference. Well, I mean, it's the same difference why celebrities do the... Uh, do the same thing. I agree, but I would say the same thing about them. Like, but some of, but, but I, I guess here's how, how I would qualify. I think so, a lot of celebrities may talk about politics, and it's clear that they, even if I disagree with their position, that they've actually spent a lot of time. Yes, um, that's different. Coming up with it, right? They, it's clear that they've done the reading, mm-hmm. they've done the research, they've spent some hard time, you know, compiling what they actually believe. Versus if Kim Kardashian was to come out with a particular political position. What she does. I wouldn't, I, I don't give, I don't give her, her opinion really any credence because she doesn't present herself as being a serious person at all, right? No, Whereas I if agree. another, another, uh, I can't come up with a good example off the top of my head, but if another, somebody else came out with a political position, I might think differently. I think that, yeah, no. So, I mean, I think that it is something where, yeah, I'm not saying people can't. I just don't get, I guess, why it makes such a difference because I do think it does make a difference. And that's what worries me is that, you know, Kim Kardashian could probably come out and, you know, tell them to vote for Donald Duck for president. And there's going to be... Not an unknown, like a fairly... Not insignificant. Not insignificant, yes. Amount of people that will vote for Donald Duck. That's what worries me. And and so that's what worries me about the athletes in the same way as it does the celebrities, though, because it's this, the conglomeration, the big NFL, the big NBA, the big, is telling players do this or do that. There is a certain amount of it that they're being directed to do. And is that, well, I think the play 60 thing is great. We need people outside playing. Kids need to play. That's helpful to them. That's, but what is, what are they really doing with their money and effort? What are they really, you see the commercial that's like kids playing with the, you know, big NFL player or something. But I, I guess I've also always been a much bigger fan of the people that they do what they can with their money in there to kind of push things in a certain direction, but it's not all about making a show of it. Sure. I, I think of uh, Packers player uh, Woodward, Woodward, right? Old Michigan, you know, them guy. Woodson? Woodson. That's Charles Woodson. Charles Woodson, who would show up to the Ann Arbor Children's Hospital regularly, but never would have press there. When he donated a whole bunch of money, he didn't want his name on it for the new wing they built. I mean, he showed up for the ribbon cover- cutting because then it obviously drew more people. Things like that, I take a lot further than... And, and you see it all over. It's not just, I guess, the athlete's side, right? They Habitat for Humanity, someone famous shows up and holds a hammer and takes some pictures and then leaves and everyone's like, ooh. Did you know that uh, Charles Woodson was the first defensive player to win the Heisman uh, Trophy Award? I did not know that. He was the first. I, I, I have only heard good things as far as his charitable and as well as something as you, it's something you can't take away from him there you go. unless he uh, stabs his wife in a waiter to death come on the oj simpson norm mcdonald joke that's hilarious he actually i think norm mcdonald told that joke at the espies when charles Woodson won the uh Heisman trophy he's like uh, what, what was the whole setup so now we have uh, charles woodson here in the in the audience who was the first defensive player ever to win the uh Heisman trophy and the whole crowd clapped and Cheered, and then he says, "Ah, something they can never take away from you, unless you <laughs> stab your wife." In the- oh goodness! 
Death threats to Greg, please, on that one. That's a classic. A Speaking classic of which, joke. we do have an email, which is politicsinhuevos at, at gmail. gmail. Yeah, I don't know um, if, if you're bored with this particular topic, but to end it on a more controversial uh, note. I yours guess that, or mine? I had a controversial uh, one, but we'll go with yours. I started, you end. Related to pro sports. Okay. Is you said you, you were a fan of the, uh, the displays at the beginning of the game. But I guess my, my question is, they're, they're not doing that out of the goodness of their heart. They're not doing that selflessly. There's a reason why pro sports in general and football in particular are doing that. They're doing that to gain political points, both by the audience, right? And yeah. by the U.S. military and the U.S. government. So they get, no, so they get and I agree better that. treatment. I think the, it's not, it's not, you know, it's, well, it's not no, happening in a vacuum. No, and, and, and just because I like it doesn't mean I always agree with it either. Because I also think that there's a point at which the military also needs an ongoing feed of young grunts who are not... Send your death threats to uh, no. politics and huevos at gmail. <laughs> yes. <laughs> In care of Lori. Wow. Um, no, but they Grunts, need... Grunts, she said. Well, they need those young people who are not educated, that they aren't even looking to educate, that they can send into some sort of place. And I think that... Well, that's you know, negative, though, right? You're not saying that's a positive. I'm not saying thing. that's a positive. No. But I think that also those political dis- the the displays at the sporting events is also a propaganda for join up. Well, propaganda for join is propaganda for the military in general to show you know that everything they do is honorable, is and positive. Right. Yep. No, and I think that that's also the thing, which is the, a huge taboo, in, not in just U.S. politics, but in U.S. society. Like, which is anybody that has any. Thing remotely negative to say about something after the military is immediately yep. shouted down, and yep. and their opinion is shown not to matter. And because I, I think it's it is a there's something to be said for there's countries where at least in theory everyone serves so long, like you between this age and this age you serve. Yeah, you have to put in um, a year or two years. And I and I think that there is something to be said for that. I think that the because through our our history we've succeeded in. Well, privileged people, even in draft situations, don't have to go. Who's now, you know, Bill, you know, you Bill Clinton at, being one of the I'm gonna prime examples up, of that. I think, I think we have a prime example. <laughs> I think we have a better prime example than that in our White House right now that had spurs in his foot. I think I had a spur. It was in my left foot. It was in both feet. It was in my right foot. And, you no, know. No, but I mean, it's. I think it, that. I, I think the, that's a problem that crosses party lines. I agree. The Democrats and Republicans of, of privileged birth have avoided having to do the hard work that gets and it's sent to the the lower yep. the lower income no, lower I, class I, individuals I completely agree yeah. and so I think that there's some and that's why I think there's something to be said where like everyone serves the other the other side of that is like I'm I'm an AmeriCorps alumni and I think that you look at a lot of the people that end up I know in the group I was with in AmeriCorps the people that end up there, that's kind of their way of trying to, you know, make it through college, which is the only, you don't get it, nearly what you potentially could get in the military. But I think that's the unfortunate position we're putting people in is I want to go to college. I have to make a decision to, if I join the military, I can maybe 
in four years go to college, or I and can, I think you should get that benefit. I don't I disagree, but I think at the same time the but problem. But it's not equitable who's actually ends up having going though. Yes, because you look at, and I think you can argue that even in drafts, right? We weren't right, and I, I was, you know, I, you gave me the Marvel movies, um, and I was actually watching the first Captain America, and what was interesting about that, and I think there are, you know, there are stories that I've read of, kind of like that where. You know, he really wanted to get in and kept failing because he was puny and sickly. So he kept failing for a variety of reasons and just kept going to different places, making up new names and stuff to try to get in. And there are people like that who really wanted to go that couldn't go. And the reason they, a lot of those wanted to go, I mean, not to say, I'm, I am in no way saying that people who, who went and served, but they were going because they there was this sense that the kind of around them, there was a sense that in their place in society, you had to go to serve. You had to serve in order to kind of be something. But there was still this whole other group that didn't serve that because of privilege was able to, you know, have a high draft number spurs in their feet. Well, that's been happening for forever. We watched, it, it's been ongoing. I mean, we watched uh, good parts of the Lincoln movie where his son wanted to join yep. and he wouldn't Lincoln's wife wouldn't let him yep um, but then the other upper class of the political class wasn't sitting their sons to the Civil War either yep. even though everybody else had to go so there was a conflict where you know privileged people that didn't have to go wanted to go and they whatever reason wouldn't weren't allowed them. to go yep. and then and so I think that well we need to Definitely. I'm I'm a big supporter of people who are in the military. There's a difference between people who are in the military and saying that I support everything the military does. Because the people who are, are in the military have essentially signed away a certain period of their life that they are going to follow within yeah. very few kind of caveats. Whatever they're told to do, they're gonna do. It's a level of it's a level of kind of signing on to a job that is way more than any kind of a regular job. So I think the yeah, way off topic we're talking about pro sports now, we're just talking about the US military. But I don't think it's an incoherent position to say I disagree with whatever particular action the military took, but once the people get back from that, we need them. we need to do a much better job taking care of them. I mean the VA is a horrible yep. disaster, right? And yep. it's poorly managed and we do a terrible job supporting the kind of the mental impact of, of sending these people to do things. Please send so your I, best friends, Greg. I am not saying we're not saying that the people who work in the VA No, but are as a, as, as an institution but it's not a it's not it has it's big not problems that haven't been I agree. resolved. Right. Yes. Is that is that a fair thing to say? That is fair. I just I know people that work in the VA. I'm not saying everybody <laughs> that works for the VA is a cretin. Thank you. I mean, there's cretins, cretinous people there. None that we probably know. the ones that you're <laughs> friends with. Yes. No, but I think there is no. I there's significant but there's issues. In, foundational yep. systemic problems with how it's. I agree. Executed. Well, and I think we've never been able to truly understand what coming back from a war does to people. And while we continue to learn kind of brain science and things like that, particularly when you think of we're sending young people before their brains are fully developed, et cetera, et cetera. But I, one kind of caveat to that that I find just, I guess, is poignant on this week is our great uncle who passed away, who served this week, but he served in World War II. One of the things that I find very interesting is that when he came back, he had constant a constant headache for close to 50 years. And it was not until randomly, according to him, some young upstart doctor told him he should go to a psychiatrist. And he went and started talking to a psychiatrist that he had a day without a headache. So he had a situation. They always thought it was because he had a grenade that kind of half exploded while he was 
on top of it is why he had headaches was because of kind of the shrapnel and such. But it actually turned out to be... Basically just mental stress. Psychosomatic. Yeah. Of kind of the things that he had seen in World War II. He was in the Pacific Theater, just for a little bit. Yes. So you look at kind of that, and he came home to accolades because coming home from World War II, people were, you know, you were a hero. Yeah, it was much different from Um, the folks that came back from Vietnam. When, yeah, he used to talk to, I believe, mom's cousin who came home from Vietnam to a much different picture. And I remember when we were young, sitting and listening to them kind of talk about that. And I guess that side of it also makes me like the people who do serve, whether I agree with what they were told to do or not, the people who did that deserve our recognition. And on the same, we're getting way, way, way off topic. Maybe we'll cut this off. Uh, But I read an interesting uh, paper in the last week that given the way that new wars are being fought now, Mm -hmm. PTSD is actually worse. So for the example has been drone pilots that are based in Nevada or whatever have a far higher chance of significant mental problems than regular Marines that are are actually in Afghanistan or Iraq for a few months because they're basically working a regular work day, killing some folks, and then going home to have dinner with their families. And the human mind apparently is not adapt well to that kind of uh, situation. Well, because when you look at how a when you're immersed in, the, in a war immersed, thing, yep. you can you can separate that once hopefully people have an easier time separating that when they finally come home. Yeah. Obviously people that with PTSD, the primary thing is they're not able to they're not they're not able easily to compartmentalize that as effectively as people that don't have it, right? That supposedly is the like the trigger. Well, essentially, your brain has been overwhelmed to a certain point that your brain is then it's unable to certain things are going to automatically send it into overdrive. So essentially what it does is it it in a lot of senses, every everyone has a point at which your brain turns off at different levels. Their point is is really considerably lower. So their brain, its reaction to things is to kind of turn off the higher functioning. Well, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't go into normal mode, whereas some people seem to be able to. To have, you know, whatever you want to call it, combat mode that's on, and then to some degree they can well, it's, yeah. they can turn it off, right? Whereas people with PTSD, they are not able to control it that way. Well, yeah, because your brain becomes overwhelmed and it lowers your threshold. So, But anyways. So, yeah, no, I think that every time, every way we fight war, it's, it's not without a human impact, which I think is important. Doesn't it's just been that because way we're, forever. I think I, w- I told you a long time ago that there was actually been some Roman writing talking about how to deal with part of the legions after they'd come home from battle and what happened to some people, how they had a hard time dealing with it. Yeah, no, I mean, it's something that's always been there, but I think that what what is missed is that just because well, I think of when we, you know, when we were down in Tennessee and you'd, you'd have like a stone here and it's like the Georgia boys were shooting from here. The Michigan boys were across the street. It's across this little area and they both start out with 500 people and two days later and they were shooting at each other from, you know, 40 feet away. You know, you think that people don't understand that the impact of being, being a drone pilot or rubber as well. So. All right. So I think that's all for this week. We'll be back uh, next week with another, uh, another episode.